Welcome to DTC Pod, where we take you behind the wheel with the best founders and operators of consumer brands. You'll learn the ins and outs of business from setting up shop, hitting your first million, scaling past eight figures, and even navigating an exit. As founders ourselves, our goal is to help you learn from the best as you build. Visit us at DTCPod.com to sign up for our weekly newsletter, join our founder community, and find additional resources from every episode. DTC Pod is brought to you by Trend, the creative solution for your brand. Go to trend.io to access thousands of creators for content needs such as product photography, unboxing videos, or even TikTok and IG organic creative. Use the code DTCPOD10 for 10% off your next content purchase. As a D2C brand, you need real-time financial visibility to save money and make better decisions. Waiting for books from slow and expensive bookkeepers that don't get e-commerce is slowing you down. Trusted by hundreds of brands, Finaloop is a real-time accounting service built by D2C founders for D2C founders. Try Finaloop completely free, no credit card required. Just visit finaloop.com slash D2C pod and get 14 days free and a two-month P&L within 24 hours with all the e-com data and breakdowns you need to crush it. What's up, DTC Pod? Today we're joined by Robbie Salter, who is the co-founder and co-CEO of Jupiter. So, Robbie, I'll let you kick us off. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about your background and what you guys are building at Jupiter? Yeah, of course. Uh, so, my name is Robbie Salter. I'm one of the co-CEO. I am the co-CEO and co-founder of Jupiter. Um, Jupiter is a scalp health brand. Uh, we sell scalp care products that don't suck, uh, which is a very low bar. But uh, we actually make products that people love and that people look forward to using. So free of sulfates, parabens, phthalates, safe for color treated and chemically treated hair. Um, and uh, they won't compromise or mess up your routine. Uh, a little bit about my background. I spent six years working in the film and television industry, then uh, left to get my JD and my MBA from Northwestern. Popped out, started working in the consulting space, so uh, primarily for a company called MediaLink, where we were um, focusing on the media, marketing, entertainment, and finance finance and technology sectors, uh, and the intersection of that uh, that group um, helped grow that business from 30 people to 130 people in three years. We sold it. Boston made a lot of money. I didn't make a lot of money. Um, and I was in my office one day scratching my head saying, what am I going to do next? Looked down, saw a pile of dandruff and had my eureka moment. Yeah. And I'd love to talk, talk a little bit more about that because, well, one, I think, you know, finding a company that when you're, when you're coming up with an idea for a company, you're going to found it's like finding the right problem and finding a problem that you care about. So I'd love to like, kind of go a little bit deeper about once you had that moment, like what were the next steps? Had you had like real experience in the, you know, the consumer goods sort of area or like what, how, how'd you know that this was, this was the, the company for you? Yeah. So first and foremost, uh, it, I had the problem, right? So historically when I was banging my head up against the wall saying, what's the direct to consumer business I was going to start because everybody was starting direct to consumer businesses, nothing felt really personal. And it really took, you know, frankly, like 24 months of me stopping thinking about what type of business I was going to start and, and instead just started living my life. Um, and uh, when I discovered that this was an issue that I had and that 50 to 75% of the world shares this issue, and generally speaking, nobody likes using their, you know, quote unquote, blue bottle 
generic products. Um, I sort of had a hunch that this was going to be uh, a, a big opportunity to tackle. Um, and to prove that it wasn't just me or my business partner that thought this way, we launched a fake brand online, driving traffic to this landing page. And at checkout, it would say, oops, we're not ready yet. But if you leave your information and answer some questions, um, we'll give you 20% off when we launch. And that was a really pivotal moment because it, it told us or people told us real, real consumers or you know, uh, potential consumers told us what they were really looking for in Stealth Health products. Um, like I said before, uh, no synthetic fragrances, sulfate, paraben, paraben phthalate-free, safer color-treated hair, safer chemically-treated hair. But the big discovery was that women were being totally left out of the conversation, that it wasn't simply guys like you and I who were looking for something better, but also women were really looking for something um, that wouldn't compromise their hair routines. And while you tell me a little bit about the, um, like the competitors in the space, right? Like, so you realize you have this problem as do a whole bunch of other people, like what were the solutions? And besides just like the ingredients and maybe you can talk to me about like form factor, brand, all that kind of stuff. But what were the signals that like the problem itself isn't being uh, treated in a good enough way to warrant you going after and starting a company? Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, so we have, I, I, I sort of poke fun at them, but the truth is, is we have tremendous, tremendous respect for the incumbent brands, right? So the Head & Shoulders, Selsun Blue, Nizarel, T-Gel, Nioxin, they've been addressing a need that millions of people, you know, again, 50% of the world has been dealing with their entire lives. Um, what we just discovered is that they weren't speaking to us or delivering us a product that was that, that was in line with what we were looking for and specifically in line with our lifestyle. Um, so we knew that better was possible, something that felt a little bit more elevated um, and, and when you looked across the category, other categories, and you saw how there was innovation being done, both from a packaging perspective, a formulation perspective, um, a messaging perspective, we, we just knew that there was opportunity. Again, you know, head and shoulders is case in point, the official shampoo sponsor of the NFL. Th that, isn't, that isn't speaking to women, right? Um, it, it is addressing a community that really is going to be uh, open and aware of those products. But we wanted to create a product that felt more in line with those who may not watch football or may not be, you know, captivated by the football games, but may be passively watching the game. So, you know, it was really just looking at the enormity of the market and also the positioning of the existing products. Um, but to be clear, I think. The biggest moment also came one one of the bigger moments came for us when we discovered that there were only a five ingredients that one could use or put in their products to be called a dandruff care product. So we said, hey, if we can figure out which which ingredient we wanted to use among these five and then build from there, we had a pretty good shot at at least being as effective, if not more effective, than the incumbents that had been around you know, 30, 40, 50 years. And one thing I really like about kind of how you thought about going to market in, in the early days was the fact that you were like, there is an established market. They're just, it's just broader and bigger. The messaging is a little bit different. Cause I think a lot of 
especially first-time founders, you'll see a lot of people trying to tackle problems that maybe don't really exist and that there actually isn't a market for, whereas you guys were like, there's a major market for this and we can start a little bit more niche targeted and specific, but at the end of the day, it's a really big market that you guys can ultimately grow in. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think a lot of companies look at the existing brands and say, hey, we want to pull market share from them, right? We, we never um, thought we're going to beat head and shoulders at their own game, right? They've been doing this for a long time. They've been billions of dollars on, on advertising. What we wanted to do is we wanted to target and address the customers who weren't buying head and shoulders. And there was a portion, you know, let's purely look at the statistics here, right? 50% of the world gets dandruff at some point in their life. 50% of the world is female. 50% of women color treat or chemically treat their hair. So you're looking at effectively 12.5% of the world's population that doesn't have a dandruff health product that aligns with what they their hair care routine. So if we can go after that 12.5% and do it really well, we're not upsetting head and shoulders. We're you know carving out our young, unique position and sure, if some of the head and shoulders customers switch over to us, that's gravy. But that was never the intent. Yeah, actually, uh, funny, funny you mentioned this. And this is kind of like a sidebar. But for me personally, I started using, I think it's Keeps, you know, for uh, so I don't totally go bold. Um, but I started using that and uh, the minoxidil stuff like really dried out my scalp. So like now my routine is I have like some oil or something that I'll, I'll put in after just because if I don't like it's like the itchiest head ever. But um, is that something that you guys uh, take care of or help out with? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, listen, there, there's the stigma in the industry that, you know, with, with the word dandruff, right? So dandruff really is a catch-all title. Um, it, it generally addresses the notion of flaking, but it also incorporates the idea of itchiness, tightness, uh, redness. Um, you, you know, from a medical perspective, dandruff equals seborrheic dermatitis, which means an overproduction of oil on the scalp. Um, and again, I don't mean to get too technical here, but the bottom line is what Jupiter does is our active ingredient in our hero product, which is our shampoo, uh, is intended to control oil production, to moderate oil production. But then our conditioner includes things like colloidal oatmeal, which is which smooths the skin. Right. Um, you know, another shout out to a very successful brand here, Avino. If you've ever heard of the company Avino, Avino is just the, the name of the company is from the Latin derivation of the word like Avenus, which means oatmeal or colloidal oatmeal. We we put colloidal oatmeal in our products because it soothes the skin. So in your case, you could absolutely use or shouldn't be using our shampoo to cleanse the scalp rebalance your oil production and then our conditioner to um, add hydration and moisturization while also soothing your scalp so you're a perfect candidate blaine i love it i'm gonna give it a shot um but one a couple things that you also mentioned that i want to get into one you were just talking about your hero product being the shampoo and saying that when you guys did launch you know you spun up some landing pages you uh tested and validated the concept before going into like any mass scale production. So the couple of questions that I have are when you were just starting out and you like launched that landing page, right? Where were you guys testing for specifically that shampoo? And then also what stage of the business were you in? Were you already in 
discovery mode with potential manufacturers? Like how far along had the brand come? Like how sure were you that this was something that you were pursuing or were you just like putting up a whole bunch of different like landers about different things and, and validating before even getting there? Yeah. So it's all a lot of questions, all good questions. So the, I, at that point we had already made the commitment that we were going to do this. And it was, that, and I think what makes a, a good entrepreneur, one of, one of the qualities that makes a good entrepreneur is, um, a great level of comfort looking a great level of comfort looking stupid when asking questions right so you have to have this um natural curiosity right so when we said hey the size of the market looks really interesting it's a very personal problem that we we personally want to solve this and worst case scenario and we produce fifteen thousand bottles of this stuff we're going to use it ourselves right um, but at that point, when we created those landing pages, we, we were starting formulation and we were at the, we were right at the, the point where we had to start making decisions, uh, as to what was included and what wasn't included. So it, it really, the results came at a perfect time because it allowed us to say, Hey, we should be including, you know, more ingredients that would reduce hair breakage, which is a major concern for women, right? So our, our shampoo reduces hair breakage by 75 percent, which is enormous for a dandruff, a dandruff product. Um, so it was little bits and pieces at that point um, in the journey that were helping us with the formulation. To be clear, we didn't, we didn't even know what products we were to launch with. I mean, it was a fake company with fake products. It was, I think it was a shampoo, conditioner, and serum, which was an early sneaking suspicion we had an early sneaking suspicion that those were going to be some of the products that we were launching but we had no clue really so it was good to see that those early premonitions were validated um but truly it was we, we had we had no clue no that's that's amazing and the only other question that i have in terms of like spinning up and validating the uh the concept and the site is when you did that from a technical standpoint how are you guys doing that was it in shopify were you using another tool to try drive traffic and and capture emails it was it was in instapage um i think so it took us three days to create fake branding it took us maybe a week to put together the landing page and then it took us three or four days to drain you know call it ten thousand dollars worth of ads and their media spend to really drive traffic to this, these landing pages, we had a multi, you know, variety of landing pages where we were ABCDE testing, um, variable testing. Um, it didn't take us long to, to drain that, that spend to gather the data that we were looking for. Um, so yeah, no, that that's super helpful. And then beyond that, so now we validated the idea. Uh, we know the problem, we're solving the problem. Talk to me a little bit about the initial like how you guys found the manufacturer that you're working with what other components were involved because like you said there's formulation there's packaging uh and for in the personal care space it's you know it's a little bit different than you know food or like food and bev or apparel or stuff like that so yeah i would love some insight in terms of like 
Who'd you go talk to? What decisions were you considering? What type of like MOQ were you dealing with the first time around? And totally. how'd you find the the manufacturer that you work? Yeah. So at that point, it was just myself and my first, the, the first founder. So there's two, two partners that I have, two founding partners that I have, Ross Goodhart and Alexa Adler. At that point, it was just Ross and I. Uh, Ross is, has, a, has a history of building physical products. So he kind of knew, generally speaking, how to build a physical product. My background was mostly in building or supporting the build of digital products. Um, again, it goes back to this idea of not feeling stupid or uncomfortable asking questions. So I, I just hit LinkedIn, right? Like I just hit everybody who had any brand that um, was a shampoo or a beauty product. And I would just try to buy them coffee and sit down and say like, how was this made? Who do I talk to? Where do I go? And after, you know, five of those coffees, people were pretty much saying the same thing. Like, this is where you find the manufacturers. You should reach out to my cousin. He's done something like this. Or, you know, um, my aunt is big in the beauty world. So it was just sort of, you know, going down the paths and see which got us to the promised land first. Eventually, we found a number of manufacturers that, frankly, wouldn't really return our phone calls because they get calls and inquiries every day from, you know, idiots like us saying, hey, we want to start a company. And, and there's no level of seriousness to those inquiries most most of the time. But we were very fortunate that we came across a, a team of consultants at a company called SOS Beauty, um, whose job is to help us get in the door, to help us uh, select and then work with manufacturers. Um, they were young men starting their business and hungry to get our business. And we were very fortunate that um, they found us and we found them at the same time. And they got us in the door to some of these manufacturers that simply weren't Sweet. And then from there, once you guys start talking to the manufacturers, tell me a little bit about that process. What were you, because it's like you were saying, you're building you know there's certain ingredients that are going to work. You're going to be working with formulation to get there. Walk me through that whole process. Yeah. So, um, you know, part of part of working with a consultant like SOS Beauty is they're able to see around the corner. They're, they have years of expertise in telling us, hey, you don't want to include that ingredient or this ingredient, or maybe you should include this ingredient, which currently isn't in the, in the products. Um, Again, I'm extremely fortunate that my business partner, Ross, um, is just, he, he has just this endless appetite for research, um, especially as it relates to product development. And he just, you know, the learning curve for him was very quick where he just dove deep into this industry and really researched every ingredient under the sun um, and really got familiar with what should be included and what shouldn't be included. So... We were ex exceptionally fortunate that the contractor or the, excuse me, the formulator that we reached out to, um, when we told them our idea, they were like, thank God you're doing this. We've been telling some of our clients to do this for 10 years and nobody's been listening to us. Um, we're so excited to work on this. We have so many ideas. We have stuff that we've been building in house that we'd love to share with you. So again, it was one of this, like one of these, like, these moments and these ideas that everybody wanted to do it. And it's just seems so obvious, but nobody took the leap. Um, and again, I think we had that perfect combination of like, 
courage, hubris, and stupidity <laughs> to, to like dive in the deep end and just say, hey, we, we can do this um, and we can do it really well. Uh, and if it doesn't work out, then we will have learned a lot. We would have, you know, taken on a, a big challenge. Sweet. And so now you've got the manufacturing kind of set up. You've got your partner. You've got the formulation taken care of. Talk to me a little bit about going back and like going to your product launch, right? What what products are you actually launching with? Yeah. Where are you, you know, did you have a 3PL? Were you storing this in-house? Like how big was your first production run? Like walk me through the the launch of the brand, if you will. Yeah, so um, we, uh, again, a lot of questions in there, but at that point we had made the determination that one, we knew from a dermatological perspective um, that a two-in-one is never going to do as good of a job as it is two-in-two, right? So first first step is decouple the two-in-one, which that in of itself makes a lot of men uncomfortable or, you know, pulls them out of our target market, right? Men want to get in and out of the shower as quickly as physically possible. Um, if you have a scalp issue, you're more open to taking the advice of dermatologists as to what to do. So uh, at the beginning, we said, okay, we're taking the two-in-one and we're splitting it up, shampoo and conditioner. We then thought about the communities that have things like protective hairstyles or uh, wear you know, wigs or extensions um, or don't wash their hair as frequently. So we developed a serum that was effectively our shampoo just out of the shower, intended to extend the wash while also controlling oil production. Um, so that third, that third product was, was pretty important. We had an exfoliating mask, which was sort of like a cosmetic spa product. And then at the time we had a, um, an elixir, a soothing elixir. So something to put in your hair or on your scalp in the middle of the day, if you had some sort of discomfort. And then finally a physical exfoliant brush. So we launched with five, five SKUs, um, knowing that there were some people who really wanted the kitchen sink and some people who would only want the shampoo and conditioner. No, absolutely. And I, I'm, I'm very curious because, again, a lot of companies will launch with just one particular SKU. You were going after a problem, and like you said, there's a bunch of different tools in that tool set to uh, kind of tackle with. So I'd love to learn a little bit more about when you were launching how did you see it go? What did sales for different products look like? How did you build the, you know, processes? Because each one of those has different packaging. So was your like packaging, for example, was that done by the manufacturer? Like how do you organize all of these to launch with five SKUs instead of just one? Yeah. So we launched in probably the worst week in a hundred years to launch a business, which was awesome. I uh, don't encourage anybody to do that. Um, and um, when we were launching, we it was also around the time when like, unboxing was a thing, right? Like you open your package and you have this beautiful, you know, beautiful box with amazing messaging and it's custom made for you. And in many respects, it was even more respect, even more expensive than the product itself. Because of the modularity of what we were doing, meaning like people would buy one of this, one of that, two of this, we, we couldn't do this beautiful unboxing experience and we were a little nervous about it the the truth was is in hindsight we were spot on like at the end of the day i don't think people really care about the package that they received and in many cases 
you know, it's uh, no disrespect to anybody who has a yellow Corvette, but it's kind of like driving a yellow Corvette, right? Like overcompensating for something, right? So for us, our focus was, you know, exclusively on on products. Um, packaging wasn't as much of a concern, even though we wanted it to be beautiful and we wanted it to align with our brand, which is elevated because we use elevated ingredients. Um, in that case, we were extremely fortunate that one of our investors happened to uh, own a packaging supply company. So we leaned on um, that company to really help us um, our first run. Um, and, um, you know, it, it was all a shot in the dark. We had no idea whether or not the quantities were going to be sufficient, whether or not, the, whether or not we were going to have a crazy surplus. Um, but when we opened our doors and we got our first customer who basically ordered the entire thing, the kitchen sink. And it wasn't one of our friends and it wasn't one of our family members. It was just a random person in uh, upstate New York who was exactly the target of person that we were going for. Um, we knew that we had made the right decisions and that we were on to something good. That's a, it's a crazy feeling, right? When, oh. when you put your baby out there and it's like the first non, it's someone that you don't actually know and you're, you see them in your product and you're like, wait, what? What's oh yeah. I mean, I remember the first day you launched, we had like li literally on, we launched probably at like, you know, three or 4 PM that day. And at the end of the day, we had like 50 orders and we're like, holy shit. We're like, part. I don't, I don't know if we can yeah. swear in here, but we can um, like, holy shit, like, this is going to be amazing. And I can't believe people actually want this stuff. And again, as an entrepreneur, you just kind of have to have that confidence that you're not the only one who has this need or wants the same thing you do. You could be totally wrong. And by the way, we can still be wrong just because we've made really good momentum so far doesn't mean that, you know, in 10 years, we're a going concern. Um, it's, it's, again, this combination of stupidity and hubris and confidence and you know it's uh it, you just kind of have to believe oh 100 percent um my next question is kind of around after you guys have launched right so clearly we've got a whole bunch of people coming in the door people are liking it other people share the same problem that you guys have you've launched with a whole bunch of different SKUs. what is the next kind of you know why don't you walk me through that post-launch phase right what are some of the key learnings from launch that if you had to look back that maybe you would have changed and say, oh, you know, this is a key learning that we integrated into our product that we're able to take forward. And then I guess the other question that's kind of along those same lines is just like what, you know, just characterize, like what else happened, I guess, in your first couple weeks or months live? Yeah. I mean, listen, I'll even back up and say, and, and just reiterate one of the most you know, important puzzle pieces here, which is our third partner, Alexa, right? When Ross and I launched, when we, we came up with the idea, we knew that we needed somebody who had a phenomenal customer experience background, um, who was able to answer questions in a technical manner, despite it not being a medical, um, a, me a medical office or practice, right? So um, which company did that best? And that was Warby Parker. So we looked at Warby Parker to try to find somebody who was willing to jump ship and start and, and join our journey. Unfortunately, we convinced Alexa Adler to do that. She had been one of the leaders of the customer experience team over there. Um, so she was integral into helping us think about how do we care for 
any questions from our customers? How do we um, get ahead of proactively answer questions that they may be asking us? Um, and then when it came time to launch, we were much more prepared because of her. Um, and, and frankly, having a female voice at, and, and a, at a seat at the table, it just brought us a perspective that we really needed. Um, so post-launch, some learnings. Um, you know, for me, brand is everything, right? At the, and, and at the beginning, I was so concerned with every pixel and making it perfect and making every, you know, every image absolutely perfect, frankly, to my detriment. Um, what I discovered or what we discovered is that, you know, um, perfection is the enemy of good, right? Or I think, or I think that's the phrase and, and really what happened was, is we were, we were spending too much time on making it perfect when in reality we could iterate more and quickly, um, and we didn't have to spend a ton of money on you know, some of these things like photo shoots, frankly, that like we would have to do 10 more in the next year and a half, two years. So it really gave us perspective that like we have to change creative regularly. Um, and at the same time, learn what creative is working and what creative isn't working, keep what works and, you know, get rid of the stuff that doesn't. Yeah, I think that's a, actually such a really, it's such a fascinating topic. And I think a lot of people who get into the space are naturally brand conscious people, right? If you're if you're thinking about launching a consumer brand or product, you have your own take, you have an aesthetic, you have your personality, you want that to come through. But I think there's this really interesting dichotomy between um, brand and creative, like you were saying, right? Like brand, you, you want certain things, you want your brand to speak the same way, you want it to be a uniform etc but on the creative side right like what works in organic social land is like changing all like every every minute of every day right so um being able to iterate test put things out there you know i think we saw if even if you back up a couple different years like you know think like five ten years ago it was like everything was like super high production and then you especially like when instagram started first coming out right and then you know tiktok comes out and everything's like it's like the opposite stuff is like really performing. It's like the UGC that you like see and you're like, oh my God, it's like just someone in front of a green screen, like pointing at things and being like, oh, you should use this. And people are like loving it. So there's always that pendulum and things are always changing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's important. And by the way, that's in the visual form, right? Like at one point audio is a big thing and people were talking all about like Clubhouse and I never understood Clubhouse. I mean, we didn't do anything on Clubhouse because I spend my days on conference calls. Why would I want to spend the rest of my day, like my downtime on conference calls? It, 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 it's just this reminder where there's so many, you know, levers you can pull and so many different things that you can do. And, and, and you know, there's this obviously the, the perpetual question or, um, you know, this notion of like, does brand matter? And uh, I think the answer is yes, maybe. Right, like brand brand matters to get people in the door, but product quality will always be the most important thing. Um, so it's you know you you have to be pretty, but also good. Um, and I'm exceptionally proud that I think our products are beautiful, but they also um, it's one of the reasons why we spent so much time on product development and why we offer a hundred percent guarantee on it. 
Oh, 100%. I think that is like, if I had to summarize everything that like you would learn about brand, brand is, is very, very important and you need to be able to get it right because it builds trust. But at the end of the day, if you have a great branded product that doesn't do what it says it does, then, you know, people are going to go elsewhere and people are, are looking for utility a lot of the times, especially in these sort of products. Right. So if you say, you do something and you don't do it and you know maybe another brand has slight like it does it's not as aesthetically pleasing but it does the job people are gonna you know go there so i think that's that's really good and also what you were saying about just iteration right it's iterating it's testing it's messaging it's creative it's all the different things and being able to constantly understand why and what and having a lens through your brand to like identify the winners, double down on them and apply them in the, the lens of your brand. I think that's the, that's the way to do it. Um, so that leads me into my next question about, um, you know, after you've launched, after you've scaled, you've seen creative work, you've seen the product start to resonate. What are the next big steps for the business that you have to take either from an operational perspective or just a, you know, scaling perspective? What are the next things that you start to kind of focus on yeah i mean for for us it was uh, a lot of it was about uh, supply chain and keeping up with demand so um we we had a pretty tough 2021 or excuse me 2022 because um we went out of stock on our shampoo and conditioner which are our hero products and it was to no fault of our own right the world was falling apart the supply chain would for most companies most physical product companies was in disarray but we thought that we had established a, a solid supply chain. Long story short is we had an issue with our, our um, manufacturer. We went out of stock for, if you can believe it, almost 10 months of our hero products, off and on collectively 10 months. Really what was, you know, at that time, the next big hurdle was how do we focus our attention on the other products and really sell how amazing they were um, without losing the customers that we're so used to using and so happy with and so committed to that those the, the shampoo and conditioner. And, you know, if, if you've ever gotten dandruff and, uh, you know, flakes, dryness, itchiness, redness, whatever, it's, it, it's really embarrassing or can be really embarrassing. And when you find a product that works, it's, 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 we become like drug dealers. Like you need, like, I need this, give this to me as quickly as physically possible. And if you run out of those drugs, um, again, making a terrible metaphor here, but it's, it's really accurate. Um, there's, there's a chance that you lose that customer base. So what we had to do is we really had to think on our feet about how do we, you know, redirect the attention to other products. How do we keep our existing customers happy? How do we prioritize the customers? It's our subscription customers more important than one-time purchasers. Um, so it's really learning these extremely hard questions early on and at the same time thinking about inventory planning. So how do we make sure that this never is an issue again? Do we split up manufacturing? Do we place larger orders? What impact will that have on our finances? Can we find creative financing so we can make these bigger bets? So again, I think that the, one of the biggest challenges that any physical product company will have perpetually is again, inventory and planning. Um, so that was really 
I'd say the big next step for us was, hey, we're not just this tiny little lifestyle brand. We're, we're real. And now we're having real problems. Big boy, big girl problems that we really need to uh, that we really need to resolve if we're going to scale to be the company we know we can be. Wow, that's that's crazy. I feel like you know you always hear it, especially in e-commerce, where people will sell out of inventory; they can't do it. But like, I'd love to talk about what your like what actions you were actually taking to uh, address it. Like, what actions you've since taken to like remedy it. So you're able to have inventory planned on a uh, much better, but also when it happened, I know you said you started focusing on other products and how to, how you were able to keep customers happy and satiated. So like, what well, from a com communication standpoint, what did communication look like with the customers around your hero products and around other products? And how did you keep them as engaged as you could while you were sourcing more product to, to have on the way? Totally. I mean, listen, because of my background in, um, in working with some fairly big names, um, both in, on the celebrity side, when I was working, you know, film and television production, working with big corporate names as a consultant, um, honesty is always the best, right? Like I don't understand when a lot of these, you know, big personalities don't admit when they were wrong because it just drags out the, um, it just, it just drags out the, the, uh, the moment. So it, it plain, it was just being honest. Like we were in a really bad spot. It wasn't intended. We're young. We're trying to figure out how to scale this business. And we appreciate your patience. We understand that you're, um, you know, that these products are important to you. So one, we gave them a break when they decided to come back to us. So we offered them an incentive to come back to us. And then two, we explained to them that, for example, our serum, which contains the same active ingredient as our shampoo, I mentioned that earlier, we conveyed that, hey, if you don't have the shampoo, this will do just as good of a job, but it's outside of the shower. It's a different application method that you're used to, um, but it, it's still going to do the trick. And here are some of the other tools that you can use or the tips that you can use in order to stave off some of those, some of that discomfort that you're, you're experiencing. But again, it goes back to honesty, right? It's when people were raising prices in 2021 and 2022, there's two approaches. One, you just increase the price and hope people don't notice, or instead you increase the price and you tell them, hey, we're increasing the price and this is why. Um, you know, can't get around the fact that it's a shitty situation, but at least if you can be upfront about it and communicate about it, it makes it a little easier. Yeah, I... I... I totally agree. Communication and being upfront, like people are, people are smart, right? Especially shoppers and they know when they're being jerked around and being able to just communicate clearly and effectively, like people are willing to listen. I always notice that from a CX point of view, so long as you're willing to talk to them, they're willing to listen. So, uh, I, I think that from a, a brand perspective is that's like the right way to, to handle something. Yeah. I, I mean, listen, we, you know, take a step back, like we're, we're a company that gives 5% of our proceeds back to mental health causes, right? And part of, um, I, my belief is that part of being mentally healthy is also just frankly being honest with yourself about your feelings. Um, and we find that it's so much easier to be honest with each other and honest about, uh, and honest with our customers rather than sugar. And, and, and true to this podcast, 
like I want to be clear to you and your listeners, like I, I am not a scion of of the dandruff industry, right? Like I don't like my kids and grandkids are quote unquote taken care of, right? I'm hustling every day just like everybody else's. I don't have all the answers. All all I have is my experiences and all we have are our experiences and our passion for this for this product in this category. And and we're betting that that passion and the quality of the product is going to make us win or it's going to help us win. Um, but we don't really know. So again, in the spirit of honesty, we want to be honest, right? Like we want to be, we want to be honest with our customers. No, absolutely. Um, my next question, going off something you mentioned, right? You mentioned mental health, how that's a really important part of mm -hmm. what you guys do at Jupiter. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about the background about mental health specifically, how it ties into your brand, your mission, and you know, the whole ethos of the company. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, the, um, we, we had the idea for the business in late 2017, um, left our, you know, left our jobs or what we were doing in late 2018, um, 2019 is when we really started focusing on the business and like going, you know, full time on it. Um, we had always felt as people who had, you know, Alexa, Ross, and myself, we, I always felt that um, dandruff or scalp discomfort was one of those things that made you feel super uncomfortable and that we ourselves felt insecure uh, when we had it. Um, so we knew that there was a mental health component to everything that we were doing. Um, we also just felt like it was an area that was totally being, that wasn't being discussed. And if you look back in time, like 2018, people weren't really talking about mental health the way that they are today. When we started to do some research on the category and the sort of psychological aspects of having dandruff, we found that it wasn't, again, just us, that we were hearing these horror stories of, you know, a girl who was in Korea and she was being bullied about her dandruff, so she killed her parents and she killed herself over it. And it's just like these horror, again, these horror stories. And, and you know, uh, having also appreciated um I wouldn't say being bullied in high school, but certainly being picked on as like a kid who hit puberty late, late in life. We just generally knew that that wasn't a feeling we wanted anybody to ever feel. I and mean, we certainly didn't want to contribute to um, an industry that oftentimes makes you feel worse because you don't look a certain way. Um, so very early on, we established this idea that we're going to do well while also doing good. So we decided to um, allocate 5% of our proceeds to mental health resources. Um, you know, today we work with three different um, charities or 501c3s that we think are doing an excellent job. Um, uh, one is Project Healthy Minds, another is Land Legal, and the other one is uh, Trevor Project. Um, and, and it really our intention is to always have people feel good about what's on their head is what's in their head. Um, and I should also say that in addition to the 5%, we give people the opportunity to donate 5% of their orders over $85 to any mental health charity of their choice, not just those three charities. Because again, we know that beauty in general and dandruff and scalp care in general can be something that that drives a tremendous amount of insecurity. And we want to be involved and associated with the opposite. 
So I love that. I love the uh, you know healthy inside and out. I I totally agree with that. That's that's really great. And then um, you know another thing I want to talk about is kind of your background outside of Jupiter and stuff you've worked on. So um, you know you've done some investing as well. Why don't you tell me about kind of you know what what else you do? Yeah, sure. So. Um... When I, when I was launching or during the period of time when I was putting together uh, Jupiter, um, I had to continue to contribute to rent, right? I, my, my wife wasn't going to just let me, you know, skate, skate off uh, scot-free. So I said, I'm going to have to work nights and weekends in order to pay those bills. So I said, oh, that's kind of an interesting idea. I'm going to start a company called Nights and Weekends. So Nights and Weekends today... It originally started as a brand strategy or consultancy supporting brands of all sizes. Um, think about their you know creative positioning. Um, today, night nights and weekends is really focused on creative cons- uh, creative headhunting. So it got to the point where people were saying to me, "Hey, um, love your work. Do you want to come and be the chief brand officer, or do you want to come be the chief marketing officer, or X Y Z?" And I said, "I can't because I'm about to go start this business, Jupiter." And they said, okay, but do you know somebody who, who could do this? And because of my network, I was able to place those people. But eventually, I was getting so many calls for the, do you know this person or a person who can do X, Y, Z? So I said, hey, it's a little bit of a better business model here. Maybe if I don't do the work and instead my work is finding the right fit for these companies. So today, nights and weekends, who um, is run by my partner, I don't really have anything to do with it. Other than you know being an owner and uh, owner of the business, is um, we help source uh, call it director plus level executives uh, for the visual or spoken word. So part time project based or full time copywriters, art directors, creative directors, chief brand officers. Um, so, so that takes up a portion of my time, a little bit of my time. And then the other, the other, um, stuff I'd like to do is supporting other, other funds and, and founders. So I'm invested in a number of venture capital funds and private equity funds. And then also, um, I've invested, you know, directly into a number of startups. And that, that's amazing. And yeah, talent, it's such a, it's such a big market and finding the right person for the right role and the right fit. It's always a tough job, but if you can do it, um, you know, it's huge. You're a matchmaker. Yeah. Right. Totally. Totally. And if, listen, as somebody responsible for three marriages, um, uh, I want, you got three, I got three, I've got three, <laughs> three mitzvahs, three misses. That's right. Um, <laughs> I'm, um, one of my greatest joys is, um, is, is giving other people joy, right? Is helping people find um, the right person for them maritally or professionally. Um, it's something I love to do and something I think I'm pretty good at. So, um, you know, I, I learned from the best, a guy named Michael Kasson. Um, and now these days I'm just sort of taking all the, the learnings that he gave me and, you know, doing it as a, a little bit of a side hustle to help people like that's awesome. And uh, Robbie, as we wrap up here, I had one last question that I wanted to ask you. Um, you said you're co-CEO. So what does that look like uh, in practice? I know it's something that 
I've seen from a couple different companies, but you know, typically there's one CEO and a COO. But so tell me a little bit about what it looks like in the day to day. What does being co CEO look like? Yeah, it's um, it's having a best friend who's totally opposite from you, right? So, um, you know, Ross Goodhart is my is my partner and co CEO in the business. Um, we um and like you know an old married couple and we can get into huge fights but at the same time make up right after and send texts right after that say i love you and good discussion being a co-ceo is having a best friend that you know has a different skill set from you and is going to push back on you um and is going to and is going to treat the business equally as it's as it's theirs um we you know we have in the operating agreement of our business, we have ways of resol resolving any disputes, but we've never had to use any of those methods because at the end of the day, we trust one another. Um, and I think we are extremely fortunate that, you know, Alexa is there, frankly, to also help moderate or mediate, excuse me, when there are some disagreements and to help us get to a resolution being a co-CEO is really just having a partner in crime who um, is going to is going to require you to do your best work in a way that doesn't feel like, hey, you're my subordinate, you you answer to me. Yeah, I I love that, uh, and I think like you're saying in these type of businesses, trust is so important. Being able to build with people that you really respect, love building with, and have a separate sort of you know skill set that's really complementary. So um, as we as we wrap up here, where can our listeners connect with you? Are you on LinkedIn? Are you on Twitter? Where can we find about more about you and Jupiter? Yeah, sure. Less less about me and more about Jupiter. So you can find us at hellojupiter.com. You can find us at hellojupiter on Instagram or Jupiter Hair uh, on TikTok. But if you do want to find me, I am on LinkedIn. You can just look up my name, R-O-B-B-I-E, last name Salter, S-A-L-T-E-R. Um, we'd love to help out any founder or frankly, just hear anybody's stories. Um, and if I can be, again, if I can be helpful in any way, shape or form, um, you know, that's what we're on earth to do is to help each other out. So whenever I can be sweet. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Robbie. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of DTC pod. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love your support. A rating and a review would go a long way as we continue to host the best builders in DTC and beyond. Follow and subscribe to the show and make sure to check out our show notes where you can find our socials and weekly newsletter. Visit us on dtcpod.com to join our founder community and access resources from every episode. We'll see you on the next pod.